and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. Uh, I forget everything I was going to say. Oh, I got a great surprise. I was looking for something to drink. I'm like, I don't know what I have here. And I looked in my fridge in the door and I forgot that I had bought myself clearly Canadian. And then I just left it there and I forgot that I bought it. So just for the memories, so you can see, anybody listening obviously won't be able to, but for the memes, clearly Canadian country (laughs) raspberry. (laughs) I loved that one, the raspberry. Oh my gosh, they're so good. All right. Oh, that wasn't as satisfying as I hoped it would be. (laughs) I was waiting for the There was a light one, Mm. a light one. Yeah. I was thinking about opening my bottle of wine, but I think my story is more drink after I read through this. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I'm first. Okay. This time? I I don't remember. I think I am, though. That works. <laughs> but for this one, I saw a news story from 2022. And I, I was like, oh, cool. I wonder if anything has changed with that. It hasn't. So that's why it's going to be short. Because it's still a cold case, which is a bummer. Because I kind of like ones that have yeah. an ending where they know who did it. And you find out, you know, did they come to justice or did they die before they went to trial kind of thing. So I was a little bummed for this one. that I. It's always a bummer when they don't figure it out. Yeah, there's no ending yet. It's not to say that. You know, something will happen between some cases are cold for 40 plus years and some are never solved. So, all right. I feel like I should get my reading voice out. (coughs) (laughs) Coopersville is located between Grand Rapids and Muskegon. And as of the 2020 census, the population was 4,828. Coopersville is primarily a farming community. On November 6th, 1994, rabbit hunters found skeletal remains in the woods in Wright Township near Coopersville. The remains were determined to be female, but her identity was unknown. She was given the name Matilda, and a drawing was done to show what she might have looked like. And I don't know if you've seen some of the sketches, but the thing with those is they can be really difficult to identify a person. Based on the estimated drawing from skeletal remains, especially just a pencil sketch. Yeah. Because um, this was honestly, the 90s. Right. And honestly, I didn't even know anything happened in Coopersville. What's crazy to me is, at least where I was living, we all called, well, my mom, we always called it Poopersville because when you drove through it, the smell was rancid. Uh, farming. Yeah. Manure because smell. of the farming community yeah all the manure <laughs> but uh that just kind of makes it a little bit worse with this story yeah and kind of going back to the the sketch even when we think about what we can get now those computer images are also sometimes hard to determine who a person is from that because there's a lot that goes into it like your weight can change what somebody's face looks like You know, making sure their coloring is right and that kind of stuff. And just little subtle things can make a person not look like a person. Right. Like a man can shave his beard. A woman can dye her hair easily. Yeah. 
And I think especially considering 90s, early 90s, it was 1994 when they found the body. It's not like today where just everybody sees the news and it can be shared everywhere. It's like news and newspapers, essentially. Very much that. So if somebody, yeah, if somebody goes missing back then, how, how do you find them and track them down when we don't have the information sharing then like we do now? Absolutely. Um, And even subtle things. I was thinking of men with facial hair. It makes such a big difference. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. Very much so. Like you can change your age, basically. Yeah. By just shaving your face. One moment you'll look way older and the next it's like Like you're in your early 30s again. Yeah. So with all that. With the advances in DNA technology, after 27 years, Matilda's identity was finally discovered. So this is kind of the story of that. Matilda's cause of death was homicide, but with no identity, no charges were ever filed in relation to her death because, you know, who do you charge? There's no connections that you can make with that. Ottawa County cold case detective Sarah Philman said, the biggest challenge with not having a name is not being able to trace back her steps, find out where she was last known to be, or what her past was from there. So, like, no way to trace them, no way to know who they are, where they've been, who might have hurt them. I can see how that would be, you know, nearly impossible as a detective to try and solve. In 2007, a DNA profile of the victim was obtained. However, authorities were unable to match the DNA profile with anyone in CODIS. That's the Combined DNA Index System. I never knew what that stood for. I always just heard CODIS. (laughs) (laughs) So that's good to know. After the DNA results did not confirm the victim's identity, the case once again turned cold. The Ottawa County cold case team re-examined the case in February 2021, and started consulting with other law enforcement agencies, including federal and state, as well as some other local agencies. The cold case team also worked with the DNA Doe Project, which uses genetic genealogy to identify unknown persons. In September 2021, detectives got a break in the case when the DNA Doe Project found and sent information on the victim's genealogy. Through DNA, they learned the victim might be a missing person, Shelley Ray Kephart, a.k.a. Shelley Ray Christensen from Minnesota. The two detectives traveled to Minnesota to meet with family members of Shelley to collect DNA samples and then compare those samples to the victim known as Matilda. DNA samples that were collected from the family members of Shelley Ray Kephart were compared to the 1994 homicide victim Matilda And on January 18th, 2022, detectives then got the news they had a match. The FBI Crime Laboratory confirmed a DNA association after a kinship analysis. Shelley Ray Kephart was Matilda. What? Can you believe it? (laughs) Shelley was 29 when she went missing from Hennepin County, Minnesota in 1993. Not much can be found about her from the news articles I looked at, but Shelley has a mother and siblings that I would imagine want to know what happened and to get her justice. Yeah. 
Captain Jake Sparks with the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office said, I'm relieved that we're able to provide this closure to the family, and I'm relieved we don't have to call her Matilda anymore. We can call her by her name. He also said, it's tough work, but we do care. And now that we know Shelley's identity, we can truly begin investigating the manner of her death. Detective Philman said, When we actually got to meet those people, it was very rewarding. And for them, it was very emotional. It answered a lot of questions for them about her whereabouts for the last 27 years. For us, Shelley has always been a person. Which is really nice to hear. (laughs) What a detective that they can still, you know... I imagine after a lot of years of dealing with death, it can kind of like get not, to you. Not, well, either get to you or just not phase you anymore. You know? True. It's like you've seen so many things by then. According to Captain Sparks, they have information that leads them to believe that Shelley may have been living in the Grand Rapids area before her death. And while as of this story in January, 2022, It's too early to speculate on a suspect. and They aren't ruling anything out. Captain Spark said, There's quite a few other females who had been killed around that time frame, and we're obviously looking into that possibility, but the case isn't solved. It's really just beginning. And I I hope for Shelley's family that more information can be found and the killer can be brought to justice. And the news article stated that if anyone has any information about the investigation or who knew Shelley Ray Christensen or Shelley Ray Keppert, please contact the Ottawa County Sheriff's Office or Silent Observer at 1-877-88-SILENT. That's 1-877-88-745-368 or go to mosotips.com. Oh, man. And that information was from, I feel like I'm doing an ad, WZZM13 in <laughs> CBS News. I haven't heard WZZM13 in a while. Man, that's, yeah, it's got to be rough, but especially, you know, officers nowadays or investigators are probably finding an easier to find like a means to an end with these cases in one way or another, mm-hmm. which even though, yes, there are still so many cold cases, especially in areas like Coopersville, though, you would think they're probably usually solving them more than anything. It's such a weird place for her to be. Because it's like, did she go missing from Minnesota? Did she go missing from Grand Rapids area? Right. Because with the location, I guess she could have been killed in Grand Rapids and then just dropped off in the middle of the woods somewhere. Which is probably because, I mean, Coopersville, even though it's like a well-known town that it's there, it is kind of like just countryside, really. Yeah. Like there's a lot of farming land and a lot of trees that you can just going from Grand Rapids to like Grand Haven or Holland, you just travel through, drop something off or someone, unfortunately, yeah. and continue on your way. Yeah, the UP is kind of like that too. Just woods and water. 
kind of everywhere and yeah. pretty much <laughs> the entire coast of Michigan is water and we have a lot of woods. Yeah. So, and I, I guess trigger warning too for anybody that doesn't want to listen to a suicide stuff, skip ahead <laughs> like yeah. 30 seconds. We have the problem too where we had it recently, um, a kid... I don't want to call him a kid. Early adult, <laughs> past 18, um, decided they wanted to end their life and just went out into the woods and did it. And it took uh, searchers a while to even find his body because they kind of knew the area he went to. And that's an issue too up here. It's like out on a lake somewhere, you know, people are doing stuff like on the shoreline in the middle of nowhere. You know, people just go off into the woods sometimes, and it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and unless you know exactly where you're looking. Yeah, unless they left their phone be... on or a phone signal or something, it's kind of hard to find people if they go out into the woods. Yeah, man, it's rough. <sighs> well, my story today, or case rather, was actually suggested to me by one of the girls in my class. We were discussing this podcast and she had asked if I ever looked into this case and I had not heard of it. So I decided to dive into it and oof. Ooh. It is definitely rough. So I'm going to pronounce the lady's name as Michelle. I think that's what it is. I don't think it's Mitchell. It's pr spelled M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. So I think it's just Michelle with a T thrown in there. I could be wrong if I'm wrong. I'm sorry. But it's 2015 and 35-year-old Michelle Blair was living in Detroit with her four children and was being evicted for not paying rent. Family states that she couldn't keep employment and would often call them asking for money but she stopped when they refused to help her any longer and told her that she needed to get a job and go back to school. Oof. Yeah. But I mean, if you have four kids and you don't have a job, you don't have anything and you're living in your own place. I mean, you kind of need to get money somewhere. Yeah. On the morning of March 24, 2015, Michelle was served an eviction notice, except she wasn't there. Her not being there caused a crew from the 36th District Court to go inside and begin removing things from her home. They started with furniture, but that quickly turned into something far more disturbing. Trigger warning. It's very grotesque. There is going to be mention of rape, children, the murder of children. So beware. In the living room of the home was a white deep freezer and inside a large plastic bag was in the deep freezer and inside the large plastic bag was the body of a teenage girl. Oh my gosh. When officers arrived, they ended up finding yet another body and that was of a young boy beneath the girl. One neighbor immediately let officers know where Michelle was. And they found her at yet another neighbor's home with two of her children, aged 8 and 17. Although her two other children, Stephen Gageberry, 9 years old, 
and Stoney Ann Blair, 13 years old, were missing. Wow. After a small amount of questioning, Michelle Blair was arrested for murder, and when police were taking her away, she stated, I'm sorry. Mm, well, well, too late. <laughs> she's not, though. Oh, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. She's not. Kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, don't arrest me, but she's really not sorry. <sighs> the bodies took three days to thaw at the morgue. And the children were identified as Blair's children, Stephen Barry and Stoney Blair. Oh, man. Yeah, it's... Ugh. The medical examiner did an autopsy and ruled that their deaths were obviously homicides and determined that they had been inside the freezer, get this, for at least a, quote, couple of years. What? Whoa. Plot twist. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's hard to believe nobody uh, was like, hey, there's two kids that haven't been in school for two years. Well, as we go on, you kind of, I don't know why her family never said anything. Yeah. Because you would think her family would catch notice. Like, hey, we haven't seen these two kids in a while. Where or are they? Or heard from them or anything. Yeah. Michelle, on the other hand, confessed to the murders at Wayne County Circuit Court. And told Judge Dana Hathaway that she killed her, quote, demons after finding out that they were raping her youngest son, which is a claim that has never been corroborated. Oh. This woman makes me so angry. I, okay, before I get into it, though, I will say I don't think they ever did. I think this woman, there was something going on mentally. Yeah. And she had a trigger and just wanted that to be the answer. But Michelle claimed that she came home one day in August of 2012 to find her youngest son acting out sexual acts using dolls. When she asked him, why are you doing that? And did anyone, anybody ever do this to you? She claimed that he told her his brother Stephen had. And that was when she went upstairs to confront him. She said that he admitted to it and that she began punching and kicking him at first, then placed a garbage bag over his head until he lost consciousness. Michelle said that she repeatedly poured scalding hot water on his genitals, <gasps> which hell? caused his skin to peel off. Oh, my gosh. This was a nine-year-old. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. It's made me physically ill. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. She also then made um, also then made Stephen drink Windex and wrapped a belt around his neck, lifted him up and asked, do you like how this feels choked with a belt? And she said that he then lost consciousness again. After two weeks of torture, Stephen succumbed to his injuries and was put into the deep freezer on August 30th of 2012. Two weeks of torture gosh the poor kid it's like he was strong to have lasted two weeks at nine years old oh i can't even imagine michelle states that nine months after killing steven she found out that stony was also raping her youngest son now yeah sure she then began starving stony and brutally beating her until she died in may of 2013 she claimed that she was going to turn herself over to the police, 
but that when her youngest son told her that he didn't want her to go, she decided not to. Yeah, right. Okay, lady. This makes me grossed out. Like, Yeah. Michelle placed Stoney's body in a plastic bag and put her in the deep freezer right on top of Stephen and then continued to live in the home as if nothing changed at all. Wow. Poor Stephen and Stoney were in the deep freezer for almost three years and nobody looked for them. They had absent fathers and Michelle had taken them out of school. She told school officials that she was going to homeschool them. And when neighbors asked about where they were, she always had an excuse lined up. Michelle told the judge that she did not feel any remorse and that, quote, they had no remorse for what they did to my son. There was no other option. There's no excuse for rape. I would kill them again. Holy jeez. And of course, prosecutor Karen Goldfarb said there is no evidence of rape that was found. Michelle's parental rights for her surviving children were terminated and CPS made sure that they were put up for adoption. But that's got to like, as a kid. Yeah, that would mess with you forever. I mean, it's going to mess with a 17 year old regardless. But the little boy. That's got to really like change his entire life around. Yeah. To have your mom, uh, you know, make a claim as that's the reason why she killed your siblings. Well, I also found another article where the surviving daughter, Gabby Blair, talks about what transpired. And I don't know how it could have gotten worse, but it very much did. Oh. So in this other article, quote, I was afraid to even walk by the freezer. Every time I came downstairs to eat breakfast or to play a video game, I had to walk right past the freezer, Gabby explained. But there was nowhere else that my mom could hide the bodies. They were cooped up in a freezer like meat. I'm happy I was able to make it out alive. Oh my gosh. Gabby also went on about how Michelle was both physically and emotionally abusive. My mom was a ticking time bomb, she said. She always had her fuse lit. So anything, the slightest tap, would set her off. And as the children got older, she said that Michelle's punishments became increasingly severe and would depend on her mood. For a while, there was an extension cord phase. Then there was a belt buckle phase, Gabby explained. According to Gabby, it was her younger brother, Stephen, the nine-year-old at the time, who had two toy figures and had them in a suggestive position. She said that because of this, my mom became obsessed with this crazy notion that my siblings had sexually assaulted our youngest brother, and she started basically interrogating the youngest. Gabby remembers her mother repeatedly asking the youngest if Stephen had done something to him. He denied anything happened, but eventually told her yes. I mean, the kid is young at this point. Yeah, young, and if she's telling him over and over again, this is what happened. He probably just wants to make his mom happy, so she leaves him alone. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, at the time when they were found in 2015, she Gabby was 17, and the youngest was 8. So he had to have been 5, 4 or 5, when she was interrogating him. 
Yeah. Yeah, you're going to eventually get a yes out of the kid. Yep. There's no concrete evidence to prove that Steven sexually assaulted the youngest, says Gabby. Also explaining that she thought he only said yes because he didn't know any better. Which, again, is what I was thinking. Yeah. Gabby said that for the next few days, Michelle denied Stephen food, asphyxiated him with a plastic bag, and tortured him until he eventually died. I don't understand where my mom's mind was, she said. Yeah, me neither. Right. I could never imagine doing something like this. Like, that's just... No, you'd have to be out of your mind. Completely. Things became worse when her mother ordered her to help take Stephen's body downstairs, where Michelle then put her son into the freezer. So she made Gabby, the oldest, help carry her dead brother. Wow. Yeah. Trying to live knowing that my brother is in the freezer was terrifying, Gabby said. I made sure to watch what I said around my mother. I already knew that one misstep and this is where I'd end up. Michelle apparently became increasingly more paranoid after Stephen's death, and her threats only went up in intensity. She would drill into her kids' heads what they should say when asked about their brother's absence. Eventually, Michelle turned her rage onto Stoney. And according to Gabby, Michelle began asking their younger brother if Stoney had ever sexually assaulted him. Why this? Why are you doing, like, I just can't understand it. Oh, man. Those poor kids. As he first did with Stephen, he said no, but changed his answer to yes when Michelle became aggressive and threatened to beat him. Quote, if he didn't tell the truth. Wow. So she obviously knew what answer she wanted and she wasn't going to stop until she had it. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's saying, no, well, I'm going to beat the living shit out of you if you don't tell me yes. Okay, yes. Here's another dead kid. Like, I... (sighs) After increasingly violent abuse, it all came to an end in May of 2013 when Gabby stated that she saw her mother hit Stoney in the temple with a two-by-four and then strangle her with a t-shirt. Oh, my gosh. Although Stoney was still alive... Blair forced Gabby to put Stoney in the freezer on top of Stephen. Oh my gosh. Then threatened her that she would be next if she stepped out of line and threatened to kill Gabby's youngest brother and herself if she told anybody what happened. Wow. Talk about sadistic. Mm hmm. In June of 2015, Michelle Blair pled guilty to two counts of first degree premeditated murder and is serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole at the Huron Valley Correctional Facility in Ypsilanti. And these are from articles from All That's Interesting and Investigation Discovery. Wow, that's crazy. I'd never heard that story before. Yeah, neither had I. That was a trip to go down. Yeah. Those poor kids, man. And, you know, since they were adopted out, I really hope that youngest boy is okay. Yeah. I hope so, too. That'd be so... Oh, that'd be so rough. I mean, I would hope. 
that since Gabby was 17, she wouldn't have been put up for adoption for long. I would have hoped that she would have been able to get him. But I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, that that's tough at that age because it'd be likely foster care and then you age out at 18 and then you're just on your own. They're kind of like, well, you're 18 now. Good luck. Yeah, like on your birthday, throw you out. Yeah. Ugh. Definitely depressing. Well, I need a drink now. Yeah. And not why flavored sparkling water. <laughs> Right. That's why I said I think that that wine is best after I read the story. Oof. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Stay safe out there and watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomtech.filmmusic.io.